This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hey, everybody, this is Dana Pickley. This is Adam Sass. And this is Princess Weeks, and we are Horror So Queer. Yeah! Right. First one. First one. And we are part of the Anatomy of a Scream podcast network. So we're very excited to be working with these awesome spooky folks. Um, And you can check them out at anatomyofascream.wordpress.com. And they talk about all things horror. But on this this particular podcast, we're talking about why horror is so queer. And why is it queer? Because it is. (laughs) It just is. End of podcast. We solved it, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take it all the way back. We're going to take it all the way back to where things get really dicey for queer people in film, especially. And that would be the Hayes Code days. Dun, dun, dun. Hayes Code was something else for everybody, really. Very dark-sided. Very dark-sided. Yeah, the Hayes Hayes Code was really shitty for a lot of people. Um, but it wasn't, the Hayes Code really lingered for queer and trans people uh, probably the furthest. But for those of you who are listening who don't know what the Hayes Code is, um, the Hayes Code was a uh, set of rules that basically dictated how American filmmaking was going to be made. And that it was basically like a morality oversight and that happened in the late 1930s and pretty much like covered the entire golden age of Hollywood. And so that meant that topics that were considered perverse um, couldn't be shown, couldn't be depicted. Um, So that's, we're talking about like interracial relationships, um, uh, certain violence, but homosexuality. Um, And so that really forced Hollywood to make subtext the way to go to really present any sort of like queerness or uh, homosexuality. And main text, if, if something was main text, it essentially equaled punishment. So queer people needed to be punished if they were going to be featured. Uh, but I would love to, Adam Princess, I'd love to get your, imp- your, your input on the Hayes Code. Yeah, it was, to me, as like a old Hollywood nerd, it had so many lasting implications for, you know, queer folk, but also actors of color. Because if you couldn't have interracial relationships, then you had women like Lena Horne or Dorothy Dandridge, who just could not be in those big romantic films because like they couldn't be opposite you know the Cary Grants they couldn't be opposite these white people and when we talk about bury your gaze this is really the root of that because if you were gay or had like, any kind of gay subtext in these films you had to be as you just said Dana punished so they usually had to die or get some sort of you know venereal disease or something to punish them for being you know lecherous or lichasis so the starting of barrier gays really began at least in the media scope of it right here well you couldn't even um so like the i mean like because what what they did was they 
connected the idea of of queerness to crime because um, the Hayes Code also said if you were if if the if the if a character was a criminal in any way they had to go to jail or be killed and so there was all the, every every criminal in the story had to be punished so you had like. Um, all those old uh, James Cagney movies or whatever. Like, you know, the, the character had to die if they were a criminal. So it really solidified the link between queerness and criminality. Um, and on top of that, like, you couldn't even be, like, straight and kiss for longer than, like, three seconds or whatever on, on screen. Like, it was any kind of sexuality was, like, severely policed. And then to the point where you couldn't even get a hint. Like, I mean, in... in um in old, like, Maltese Falcon, uh, you know, type movies, you know, you'd have a character come in and it would be like, oh, he's got a, he, you know, he smells like gardenias. Like, they like they kept throwing in these lines that were just like, oh, he's got a, he has a handkerchief in his pocket. Right. There was like, something about it, just Marlo just didn't like him. He doesn't know why, he just didn't like him. Yeah, like... <laughs> There's something about him. It's that gardenia. It's that, it's the brooch that he's wearing. Something right, about yeah, it right, keeps yeah. leering at me. He's <laughs> there were lots of leering, so much leering, and that crossed uh, gays and lesbians. There was a lot of leering across, uh, you know, oh, genders God. there. Because we do love to look longingly at each other, so it was hard for us. Because <laughs> that's that's mostly like that's mostly how we communicate with right? each other. <laughs> we learn from the greats. We're like, this is how I say I am. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we can't do this via video because Princess and I would just be longingly staring at each other because that's what like queer women do. Absolutely. I mean, I'd be in the corner just vamping by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, you know, what's so interesting to me about the Hays Code, though, this like puritanical, you know, thing that comes in and just kind of decimates the the interestingness of of Hollywood was that like there were queer characters and there were like these nudity and like you know sexual freedoms in in film before the Hayes Code came and just kind of squashed everything. Yeah, because yeah. it was like because for people who don't know like this the Hayes Code preceded like any rating system GPG PG thirteen R because like every movie had to like past the same bar like mm-hmm. like you know the the adult movies you know kids movies whatever like everything was kind of really bland and, and that just led to a blanding that just everything had to like fit into one box because the audience was viewed as just like you couldn't even have an adult movie because there might be one child in the audience perhaps mm-hmm and this before the code era was like the era of, you know, bisexual icon Marlena Dietrich, who caused a lot of stirring because she would be wearing, you know, women, she was playing female characters in men's clothing. And that itself was considered to be, you know, very scandalous because what does it mean when a woman wears pants? It's so down nabby <laughs> to just be like, she's got pants on. It's like, this will confuse everyone. <laughs> Plus, she leers too much, so we so just don't she, even know. That's all she did, leering in pants. Well, how does Katherine Hepburn fit into all this with her famous pants-wearingness? Well, that was later on, and, like, even with that, it was like, she was a tomboy. So it was like, okay, she's... But 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 Marlena Dietrich was like, everyone knew she was bisexual, because so, 
she just didn't have any Fs to give. She's like, I slap Nazis. I don't care <laughs> about these Hayes code. I swear, um, after World War II, she really did. Like, she really was just like, I've seen the horrors of World War II. What am I going to be scared of? William Hayes? Yeah, like in The Sign of the Cross is the movie where she comes in wearing like a tuxedo with a top hat and cane. And so that same, the, the year afterwards, that's when Hayes declared that all gay male characters would be removed from pictures. And after Dietrich's whole ensemble caused controversy, they signed like an agreement that really didn't mean anything, but basically said that they would never portray women in male attire which sounds so ridiculous now because like we're we're now finally understanding that there's no such thing as like male and female attire but from then on until like Catherine Hepburn came on the scene with pants again later on in the 50s it was like no we need to really if, if a woman wears pants it means something it means that she's athletic and there's always like a coding to the pants <laughs> So the pants are it. The pants are the clue. <laughs> um, so if you haven't gathered, this episode is titled The Hayes Code and how queer characters were either villains or victims. So we're um, and if you want to learn more about The Hayes Code, do check out TVTropes.org. They have a lot of really good, interesting information. Um, check out the Hayes Code on there. Um, also, definitely check out the film The Celluloid Closet. You can watch it on Amazon. And uh, the three of us have all seen The Celluloid Closet. And mm -hmm. it, it, that's the first time I ever heard about the Hayes Code. And that was like 20 years ago. Yeah, like yes. it's because it's it was made around. You can, you can tell it was made in like the early 90s because, like, Philadelphia was, like, the big gay movie, and they were really acting like, we've made it with Philadelphia. We, we've, <laughs> it's, that, that's over now, the cellular closet. We um, fixed it. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's, there's a lot of Philadelphia in that movie, and there's a lot of, like, okay, that's done now. Yes. And, you know, frankly, I mean, with the exception of a couple of films, we haven't really gotten that much further. Because that's right. why you're watching it now. Like, I watched it, like, I think last year, and it's still, like, yeah, we're still kind of doing that. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where, like, even, like, in, um, you know, it hasn't come out yet, it was getting to COVID, but, um, like, Disney's Jungle Cruise, they were like, the first gay main blah, blah, blah character is going to be in the Jungle Cruise. And it was just like, oh, it's this, like, foppish guy. Of course. Who, like, w the only difference between, like, a movie set during the actual, like, era of the Jungle Cruise and now is, like, we're just saying he's gay now. Like, he's still behaving the same way with, like, the cane and the, and the handkerchiefs and shit. Lord. Yeah, it reminded me of when Beauty and the Beast happened, and they were like, oh my god, we're gonna make LeFou. And I was just like, nobody asked for this. Like, like Lumiere and Codsworth are sitting right there, and you're like, let's make LeFou gay. It's like, girl, you don't even understand what the culture wants. Like, <laughs> and, and talk about Coded, like, that character is, like, yeah, he's this this kind of flop who's like just foolishly in love with his like hot best friend, <laughs> and I was and it was just like yeah, he's our first gay character. I was like ugly. That's very ugly. Yeah, it's and it just like again, it's like his character is named the fool. He's a villain for most of it, and like his heel turn is when like a British woman is like he's not good enough for you, and I'm just like girl, how do you even know what's going on, Mrs. Potts? You've been in here like. <laughs> <laughs> 
He just needed one woman to tell him, honey, love yourself. And it was like, okay. It's so um, like, yeah, I'm, oh God. Yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 I really want to call a moratorium on all like first LGBTQ character when it was like, I think that, you know, because they did it in Endgame, they did it in Star Wars, and it's always just like, boring it's boring and it's always just like it's a it's like literally a crumb it's literally like oh yeah you know that the, they kissed at the end like during the during the scene of a hundred people sitting there by the by the millennium falcon and it's and it's a big celebration <laughs> their lips their lips slightly grazed right right when and it's so like we- walks dancing and nobody cared and it's so weird because speaking of horror i remember when paranorman came out like what was that like 10 years ago i don't know what time is but when paranorman came out one of the big things about that was at the end the character is like yeah we should hang out my boyfriend would love you and that was like oh he's gay and it's like that was like that long ago and it's like we're still waiting for like big places like disney to catch up with like that little absolute crumb but that crumb has become the revolution <laughs> well tying this back into like the, the these frustrating crumbs and where our rep is right now to Hayes code which is the thing that everybody really fears about us is like sexual energy so that's why you would have like characters like finn and poe who like accidentally in the first movie had a whole bunch of chemistry and hell had energy that they did not act on and they instead said okay well we're gonna do it with these other people who like are pretty like innocuous people and don't really have that like energy going on with them and then you have the end game guy who's like grieving a partner and then it's like you have these sort of like really like romanticless people Mm-hmm. Um, without a lot of that energy because that energy is kind of what a lot of people fear and that really was what Hayes Code was here to stomp out. Absolutely. And it doesn't help that like when we do have big gay movies, even when they are amazing, a lot of them are about longing with no <laughs> end game. It's like, you know, it's going to end in tragedy, but it's all about like the longing, which I, I do love it. You know, I loved Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I loved Moonlight. But, you know, there are also couples, you know, <laughs> sometimes people can have a happy ending. It's right. not always like exactly. husbands, secret husbands who are jealous of your partner. Sometimes it just can be chill, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're even, um, I mean, as we're recording this, where we're, they, they announced like um, Harry Styles is pay- playing queer in this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that announcement, yes. but it's another yeah. sort of similar, like, you know, it's a period piece. And so it's like, he's, you know, he's married to a woman and then he's, they're both sort of dalliancing with this one guy and it clearly ends badly because it starts in like the, the future when he's very old and they're taking him in and they're kind of remembering that sort of stuff. And it's all very just like the ruins of my regretful life. <laughs> oh, God. That's Hey, that's the title of my memoir. You just, you know, back off. Right. <laughs> and I would, you know what I would appreciate more is like, instead of doing this, just make uh, some stuff about RBG, not RBG. Sorry. That was just in my head uh, about Oscar Wilde. No, so I just, I, my friend just messaged me about RBG. So I just saw that, but may um, she rest in peace. Rest may, in peace. May we fight in her name. Absolutely. But it's like, we have so many queer icons who try to live very 
honest lives and existences and didn't always have great endings, but they were real people. And there is more to tell in those stories than just creating these like fictionalized versions, usually with the, the same very cis, very white, you know, actors and just sort of like taking our stories and just transposing them onto an avenue that they prefer. It's like, give us these big gay stories if you're going to give them to us and have us play them. Like, come on, guys, what are we doing? Something that was not necessarily a happy film, but I did kind of enjoy the different angle of queerness was Can You Ever Forgive Me? Mm-hmm. Um, where I think they were they were showing at least a little like a, like it was not about our queerness. It was just like these were queer people up to no good about something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I want films about our queerness. Like I want I want it to be so queer that like I'm exhausted by the end. Like I that's how queer I want a film to be. And I just haven't gotten it yet. Soon, very soon, hopefully. Well, mm-hmm. before we even stop making movies altogether, I don't even know. Are, <laughs> right, are theaters right. opening again? I don't think we're doing that again. Yeah. I, I hope that we've moved past it because, well, you know what? Going past the Hayes Code, I, I have this excerpt from The Monster and the Homosexual, which is um, this essay that is part of this collection called the the dread of difference gender and the horror film and it's by harry m benshoff and he said that in 1984 there was a study of anti-homosexual attitudes and the three things that they were mostly afraid of you know why heterosexual people were afraid of gays and lesbians were one homosexuality was seen as a threat to the individual that you know someone you know or you yourself might be a homosexual so there that was the first thing the second thing was seeing homosexuality as a threat to others and because as we said before the hayes code that homosexuality had been linked in the media to child molestation rape and violence and that three homosexuality was seen as a threat to the community and sort of the nuclear family and family values so what we have thankfully moved on from then is we no longer carry those three mentalities about homosexuality. Like now, you know, everyone kind of wants a little piece of the gay dollar, every pride, everything has a rainbow on it. We have many more depictions of queer family units and just an expansion of what family looks like. So hopefully moving forward, uh, we have really killed a lot of these ideas I mean, not with transness. I think trans is transness is still sort of being pushed to the side as certain British authors keep uh, reminding us. But I think in general, when we think about the L, G, and the B, I think we have slowly moved forward past these mentalities. Yeah, and I, I was I was talking with a friend um, about what you were just saying. So I mean, like, completely agree. And I and it's and it's interesting because. With representation, what we're doing so often is fighting so hard against, um, un- like, a stereotypes change, um, you know, and, and, and tropes sort of, we're fighting against tropes so hard, we, we sometimes go, you know, just in fighting and destroying that trope, we go very hard the other direction, and then we kind of lose that, and so we have to go back in the middle, like, really more so, like, um, like say you know, uh, like gays are, are very hypersexualized and 
um, you know, uh, and deviant and promiscuous and this and that. But we go, you know, and then in queer media and rep, we've like gone really, really hard the other direction where it's like it's very chaste and there's one peck on the lips at the end. And it's, you know, it's this, that. And I think even in that, that's still not really representing what queer life is really like, you know, especially if we're thinking it from the terms of like young queers growing up, seeing the life they're about to lead reflected um, on screen in the, to the same degree that everybody else does. Um, and I think we can, you know, I mean, we kind of have to go very hard the other direction just to destroy that trope. But then it's like, okay, I think now we're in a place where people go, yes, gay is good and all that. And, um, and you know, love is love. Um, but it gets, it's very, um, it can be very chaste and it can be very soft and it can be very um, uh, monogamous and very kind of normative. Um, mm-hmm. And then we kind of right. lose like, a little of that detail. palatable into like reality. Right. That the sort of blend of the two. And that another another reason why we need to see just a multitude of queer stories because the queer experience is not singular. So it's like there's there's all different types of ways to be queer and live a queer life and and you're not going to really totally see all that covered until you just start doing more like just numbers. Exactly. You hear us Disney like it's not <laughs> enough for us to fan cast Elsa. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're going from Disney all the way back to 1936. We're going to talk about Dracula's daughter. Love this one. So Dracula's daughter happens to be covered in um, the celluloid closet. And it was uh, 1936 directed by Lambert Hillier. Great name. Um, and so this, this, this is one of the first films right um right after the Hayes code is has been enacted and it's a sequel from the dracula the 1931 dracula movie so this is really kind of where we begin hollywood's fascination with lesbian vampires which we're going to cover in another episode more thoroughly but um this is one of the main ways that we show up in horror um and uh so it basically is a story about dracula's daughter countess Maria Zaleska, mm. who, who, and then this is, this is my favorite. This is so lesbian. So she is tired of being under Dracula's thumb. So she goes to therapy. Um, <laughs> Loving it. Another to- coded queer thing to do. Goes to a therapist. She goes to therapy. But while in therapy, she, she, she catches, she catches uh, the eye of the therapist's lady friend and um, so another layer of, of queerness on this. And she has a jeweled ring that she can hypnotize you with. So that, that's the way she gets you in her thrall is this jeweled ring. Women love jewelry. <laughs> we love the shiny. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What do you what do you think about Dracula's daughter and and the the tragic end that of course the countess would have to uh, endure? Well, first of all, I was I was very struck by um I I didn't re- really make this connection. I don't know if this was on purpose, but this is um you know her being called the countess and she's this sort of uh you know lesbianic vampiress and um like with American Horror Story Hotel's uh, Gaga character, the countess who is a vampire, who is um, very fluid sexually. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know if that was like a direct call out. Um, Knowing Murphy, yes, probably. 
Probably he's yeah. It seems yeah. like it was like you know he's got you know whatever you know whatever we all may feel. Um, he definitely knows how to throw a, a reference in there, and I feel like this is a very very well known uh, queer reference. But um, that was my that was my first thought on this. No, I agree, and I I felt like this was such an interesting film to revisit because as as a Carmilla stan, both the book and the miniseries and all of that. Uh, you can just see so much of the influence of that, just the way that, you know, um, the Countess is styled, that very, like, severe brow, just everything about her is just so deliciously camp. And one of the posters, the theatrical poster posters for it, it's like, she gives you that weird feeling, and I'm just like, yep. What's <laughs> that with the poster? It, got, it really is. I was like... I was like, I get it. I felt that feeling before. <laughs> and and the thing is, when you watch the scene where she is using this ring on this young woman, like the young woman is absolutely like just like begging her, like terrified, like, I don't no, please, please don't please don't seduce me and take me into your thrall. Like it's it's like the the most terrifying it's like she's not even scared that she's a vampire. She's scared that she's trying to seduce her. She's <laughs> She's like, That's I first can't handle it. <laughs> she could not handle it. Oh my goodness. But of course, you know, when you are a lesbian character or coded lesbian character in a film under the Hays Code, you must be destroyed. So naturally, we bid adieu to the Countess, um, who I do believe is killed by the young woman, right? Good for her. <laughs> I love it because it, it, it's one of those things where, like, if you want to even like look at it in that direction, you know, a lot of times, like, you know, in 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 queer male narratives from this kind of era, um, like that sort of even that violence that like you came onto me, I'm going to kill you, is is somehow still like vaguely construed as like that's their this is like a met- this is an intercourse metaphor, <laughs> like this is yes. them consummating what they were building towards this whole time. Yeah, I just was double checking, and she does get killed by a man. We hate to see it, but but and and it's like revenge for breaking her promises to him, and it's just like, boy, bye, calm down. (laughs) Bella didn't do that when she didn't get turned into a vampire. Like she just sucked it up, so you can suck it up too, sir. (laughs) Um, I love this. (laughs) So okay. People might disagree with me on this, but I think Rebecca is a horror movie. You fight me. If it's you a horror movie. Yes. No, it's a horror movie. Yes. It's everything. It's every It's every genre in horror slapped together, and I love it. It's gothic. It's suspense. It's, um... Because, like, it, for a while there, it feels almost like a ghost story. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, I mean, I okay, agree. you've got... Okay, so 1940, the original Rebecca comes out. Um... Mrs. Danvers, the the house head housekeeper, obsessed with the original Mrs. De Winters because queers, you know, as queers, we can't let go of our exes. Never, <laughs> never. And um, she really tries to drive off this new Mrs. De Winter. Um, and they're doing they're doing a remake of this uh, on Netflix this October. Um, so that'll be interesting. I'm I really we'll trying to see if it's. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. 
love you. I was just like, I was like, I was gonna be, I was gonna be super civil about it and be like, it it exists. I was like, we'll 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 circle back on that one. Because <laughs> I'm because I just it's it's one of those things where I was like I was like well. You know, because it's weird because part of Rebecca's appeal to me is the Mrs. Danvers character. It's not because that's the thing about queerness is that we're we're, we're name checking all these movies that are like really doing it badly or whatever. But like they are part of it is also alluring for queer people because for a while this was all we had. So I feel like there is sort of a you can't extrapolate like the oh, I hate this rep versus like, oh, I'm kind of obsessed with this also. Mm -hmm. So because like she. There's, there's so many things I hate that I'm also obsessed with. Oh my god, so, so right. Mrs. Danvers, in this very key scene, if you see Cellular Closet, they'll go through it like beat by beat, like the Zapruder film, um, is she takes the new Mrs. DeWinter into um, the old Mrs. DeWinter's things, and she literally is like, here are her under things. Look, you can yeah. see my hand through it. And she delicately, yeah, delicately pats the under things. No, she's. I just, I just feel like the way that she talks about Rebecca is like how you talk about like the one who got away. It's yes. like you know, uh, she Imagine. just was so amazing and like doesn't know any of her faults. She's like, no, she was perfect. She was born perfect and she died perfect. It's like, girl, but you've been here. Well, imagine though being a queer person going to see this film in the 1940s, and like. And and seeing this undercurrent, this like this longing, this like passion, and getting it because mm-hmm. it's the only also, recognition you you got. Like that you you knew you were like, oh okay, well someone else besides just me is feeling this. Right, but but the thing exactly. is, exactly because Mrs. De Winter is coded as queer, she must die. She must suffer, and she dies by having a house collapse on her burning house collapse on her like mm. flaming logs hit and that's a and that is flaming a logs. and that's a and that is a pure movie decision because in the book she's just ambiguously missing girl she just like the, the at one point they're like i wonder where she is it's like she's probably crying over rebecca's grave y'all i don't know right. why you act like you don't know where she at no she's off she's off to the bahamas yeah like she could just be like you know what this is this is what I needed to get over Rebecca. Right, right. <laughs> but no, but because this was a movie during the Hayes Code, because we, because they knew we would see Mrs. Danvers as this queer character, as this queer thing, she had to suffer. Yeah, unfortunate. Um, but this is and this is a Hitchcock movie. So yes. correct me if I'm wrong. We yeah. also so Hitchcock pretty soon after that Hitchcock really had a thing with like low key queerness, and so I think he moved on to queer men for his next one, which is Rope. Yes, Rope. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, Hitchcock has a thing about like evil gay people. He really did, and it's and it's one of those things. So he had a he had a lot of fears, and all those fears went into his movies. He had like the the fear of the gays and there was like a fear of mothers and then there was like a birds fear of birds fear fear of like fear of cold blonde women fear of police you know like everything everything all worked in there and you see that's how we that's the contradiction because he's afraid of cold blonde women when that's our prototype if we see a cold blonde woman we're like that is a queer oh, icon yes. it doesn't matter what she's doing she's if, if her brows are done well and she's wearing like especially a white outfit it's like oh 
That's a queen. Ooh, she's giving a withering, yeah. unimpressed gaze to someone. I am, Especially I'm, like... put at ease. It puts me at ease. Yes, it's like, ah, we, we've arrived. Especially if it's a pantsuit. Oh my God. Yeah. Just, just say Charlize Theron. Yeah, Charlize <laughs> Theron. You know, Sharon Stone. Because Sharon Stone Kate would be Blanchett. killing it. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! So in Rope, um, so Rope is 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 one of these movies that I've seen so many times, and I do love it. And it's and it's and it, I love it because so it's based off of um, a play that was based off of a real life murder, Leopold and Loeb, who were mm, like yes. these two guys, and they were like kind of like it was basically like this is like evil white gays the movie, um, <laughs> and it's. Right. Like, they're just like, oh, we're better than everybody, and we kind of are just super selfish, and, um, you know, we're like, oh, we're going to kill this classmate because we're bored, and also we think we're kind of superior, so we're just going to... Yeah. We're bored, and so we're just going to kind of, like, kill him, and then it's going to be like, we're going to throw a dinner party over his body. It's going to be cute and funny, and it's going to be a scream. (laughs) I mean, how... Like, that... I, I... It... It pains me to think of something more depraved than killing somebody, throwing their body in a goddamn buffet chest, and then inviting their parents over for dinner. And they just delight at like, you know, oh, where is he? I can't. I've, he's always late. And they're just like, mm, I don't know. It's weird. Like, it just... <laughs> I wonder what's going on with that guy. No, I just sorry. I couldn't stop laughing because just the way you described it, Adam, just literally took me out. Because I'm just like, man, I would watch that movie today. Which is like, if it wasn't based on a true crime that was truly horrific, I would probably get even more enjoyment out of it. No, watch but- me remake Rope right now today. You could you could update it, and nobody would be mad and be like, oh, gays aren't that nasty. But then we would know. It's just like it's and, and when I think about comedy. rope, I think, yeah, it's like I would love to see rope made by someone who wasn't anxious about you know evil gays and just someone who was like I am the evil gay, like not in a murdery way, but in the catty, passive aggressive kind of way. Like I, I love that. I live for that. So I love rope. I think rope is just such a compelling film. I mean it, uh, but it's it's so frustrating about how blatantly you could tell that Hitchcock just really leaned into like his own psychological fears. Yeah. So like with Rope, the one, like it the one thing that stops it from being a perfect movie is Jimmy Stewart. And the mm. and then the reason for that is because the play it's based off of Jimmy Stewart's character is typically like if he was played by somebody like James Mason it's typically played by somebody who himself has sort of a feline more slightly more feminine energy rather than Jimmy Stewart's like super eagle scout like you might as well have Tom Hanks play that role um because the idea is that like with all of this coding it's supposed to click that it's like Here's this party full of straight people, and the only three people who are even vaguely clued into what is going on are the queers. Um, and so the idea is that this guy, this professor of theirs, um, like you, if you had cast somebody like a little more sly like that, you would have gotten this energy of like, oh, maybe he had a relationship with one of them at one point. Like there is sort of a intergenerational gay 
like problem thing going on where he's like, this was my philosophy and you took it way too far. Like you're, um, his sort of like superiority kind of way he's been talking. That would have also maybe explained that hero worship thing a little bit more succinctly. And, and in, in, in the play, these characters are queer, but in, in the movie, they're coded queer. They are not explicitly queer. And, and interestingly enough, Screenwriter Arthur Lawrence, gay. Uh, Farley Granger, who played Philip, gay. And John Dahl, is, uh, who played Brandon, is, uh, is supposedly was known to be queer as well. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, the energy is there. And it's just like, if you would just not cast Jimmy Stewart in something, like, I mean, it, it would just, like, it would have, like, it would have been way more legendary. It would have probably been up there with one of his stuff, even though it would have still had this, like, pall of, like, anti-queerness about it. Um, you know, and, you know, I've, you know, seen, you know, Arthur Lawrence talk about adapting the uh, play and having to remove lines, like, where they called each other dear. But, like, that was, it was, like, it was an English play, so it was sort of, like, more English than explicitly queer. But it was, it was all that sort of, like, that's the thing about Rope is that it's so intimate. Like, it is just, like, these two guys, and they are just, like, every time they're in a shot together, they're, like, like, curling up next to each other, yeah, like, yeah. With, with fear, you know, with Farley Granger, he's, like, freaked out, and so he's a little, like, just sort of clingy to, to John Dahl, and John Dahl is sort of just, like, really thrumming with, like, this, like, getting off on this energy, like, he's really having a great time at this party. I was gonna say the gays know how to throw a party. <laughs> yeah, next time I throw a party, forever, you know, not distancing it again. Like, yeah, definitely check what's inside the buffet table. If, you never I, know. if I see a buffet chest at your house, I um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna leave. Um, <laughs> now, it's like, oh, I know what this is about. <laughs> interestingly enough, um, Brandon and Philip are not murdered or not do not receive death, but they do go to jail, or at least it's implied that they're going to jail. Jail, and then I think he even says, like, because I think, like, this was, like, f- f- you know, like, full death penalty for murder, kind of, t- like, he does say, like, you're gonna die. Like, he's it's it's very much just, like, I think that is a, probably how they did maybe get around that, is that it was, like, you're going to jail, and then you will hang for the murder. But we don't explicitly see them being murdered. No. Which is what makes this sort of a delight. It ends it on such a, like, it ends it on kind of this, like, it, it ends, it's just so elegant. Like, it's just like this weird flashing neon ending, and it's very drama. Like, it's just, it's, I mean, it's like, again, for the anti-queerness within it without, um, it is a pretty fabulous movie that I recommend everybody watch. FYI, Rope was uh, 1948, so we are we are now 10 years into the Hayes Code at this point. Um, but I want to jump to a, a film that technically was outside of the Hayes Code, um, but still really brought with it that Hayes Code energy. <laughs> 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 and that is a film called Prey, um, 1977. Um, so this movie has everything. Aliens with wolf noses, possessive lesbians who are mean to birds, man-hating. Um, it, 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 the only character in this film, okay, real, real quick, it's about an alien who comes who comes to Earth and he basically like eats people, okay? Um, the only character we are supposed to hate more 
then the face-eating alien is the shitty lesbian girlfriend in this. Um, and... It's it's amazing. So it's if you if you're interested in seeing this movie, it is on YouTube. Um, it is in full. It is um, it is it is something else. This um, the 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 predatory possessive lesbian that um, we see you know hints of with uh, Danvers and um, and the Countess is fully formed in Prey. Um, and then there's 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 the bisexual woman who is under her control, who the entire time really all keeps just talking about the guys that she wants to hang out with. <laughs> there's so much like in the in these like queer women like stories that there's so much about like control and yes. she's controlling her and she's like thrall mm-hmm. like she, like one of them's always like doing it by force or something like it's right. Well, that's 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 and that's what they taught. That's what they taught you. That's what they were teaching on women is like yeah. lesbians are predatory. They're trying to get you to, you know, they're trying to to lure you in. And so we're seeing that very clearly in in this in this movie. Um, you know, one of the lesbians the, is uh, is she's basically kept her girlfriend away from everyone else and it's revealed that she even killed the guy that was coming around and like hanging out with them. Um and like she's a terrible person um but all the lesbians well all the queer women get punished in this film because as as much as we are meant to sympathize with the man with the face eating alien literally will eat your fucking face um we're like oh look at him that lesbian is so bad we hope she gets hers um but she's then so the, mean. the nice queer woman <laughs> She's so mean. The nice woman, she gets eaten by the alien who eats faces. Listen, I this is the one movie of these three that I have not seen, and I am... The more I read about it, the more I'm just like, excuse me? Yeah. It seems fair, and it does seem... it's It does seem to track with the 70s representation of queerness in that, in that it was post-Stonewall, and it was, like, post-Hayes Code. And I noticed, I noticed at the beginning you were saying, yes, this is, like, post-Hayes Code, but it still carries some of that. I feel like the Hayes Code was with us for so long. Really, at this point, like, the filmmakers just kind of took it from there because, you know, you know, the filmmakers who were making stuff in the 70s were very concerned with, like, the parts of the Hayes Code they wanted to ditch, which is, you know... Um, you know, male-female, like, in- intimacy and, like, criminals being punished, you know, like, you know, gangsters and whatnot. But then the rest of it, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, like, the rest of it can stay because that's just sort of the way we talk about things. And that is just, you, you're seeing a lot more of, like, people's anxieties expressed in that. And you get that in, like, um, Vanishing Point, this car chase movie from, like, 71, mm-hmm. um, where, like, um, this guy, like, this picks up these, like, two, like, very gay um guys and like they're like gonna carjack him and it's just and it's you see almost just like the glee the sort of like death wish charles bronson glee with which like they're dispatched no just reading this uh the synopsis to this because i haven't seen it either i find it fascinating this like obsession that at this period about how like lesbianism can only exist until a man enters the building yes that's also a very common trope in this time and it's just like, you know, I don't, and which is such a bizarre thing. And then all of a sudden, Joe's sexuality is like this, you know, dispredatory capping of masculinity. And then Kator, or whatever this alien dude's name is like, well, he's just, you know, 
he's just a man, you know, and he's allowed to be a face eater. But Joe, she's she's disrupting everything by being <laughs> this mean lesbian. And I'm just like, she, yeah, cool, she cool, gets, cool. She even gets killed in the grave that she was digging for her girlfriend because she thought she had killed her girlfriend. But when her girlfriend wakes up, the girlfriend's like, yes, alien guy, let's let's leave. But first, let's have sex. And Jesus. that's when she gets her, her her face eaten off. So even when she decides to go back to men for a momentary thing, it's like, well, now you have to die. It's like, well, okay, cool. She was engaged in the lesbianism. So she, yeah, she had to be punished. It's, I, I just, this filmmaker, like, I just want to ask who hurt him. Like, I'm just <laughs> like, what queer woman just, like, really turned you down or something at one point, like, that you're decided to make this movie because this sounds like who is this movie for god only knows oh for for a certain for a certain subreddit this is this is a (laughs) (sighs) well this has been a lot of fun talking about uh the destructive haze code and its lasting effects um and we're going to be talking about all sorts of interesting things with queerness and horror um, and but before we we sign off for this episode, um, I want to ask Adam and Princess, what was your first queer horror experience? My sort of like queer first like queer horror experience also was Hitchcock, but it was like later Hitchcock. So it was um, it was it was kind of the one two punch of Psycho and The Birds. You know, both of which not not both of which are, both of which have like. Um, queer allure to them but I would say Psycho has the more like on page sort of queerness where it's like they do talk about like oh he's a transvestite he's wearing his mother's clothes Um, and you do have a lot of this you've got like Anthony Perkins being very um, what I call legibly queer on screen um, where it's just very very you know it's it's there it's present his queerness is present in his performance um, and so that was the first time I really saw like, like, oh, there's like a sort of a main character who's very, you know, who's a boy who's like very gentle and frail and kind of frightened, but is still doing stuff. So I, I, that really kind of struck me as something special. Then he's a murderer. So, um, then there's the birds, which is, there is, there is no real queer person, but that one has just so much queer sensibility to it because it's so high camp. Um, that was the one I just really, really dug into because you've got, um, you've got Tippi Hedren and Suzanne Plachette and Jessica Tandy. You have a very, like, it's, it's a, it's a female cast, um, uh, you know, it, being very like Knots Landing and soap opera-ish because they're all caught in these like sort of interpersonal squabbles before they're descended upon by murderous birds. So that was something that really spoke to me. So I think that's when I look back on that time. Hashtag before they're descended upon by murderous birds. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the evolution. Um, For me, I would say it was definitely the original Carrie when I finally watched it. I remember just feeling like Sue was just trying so hard to throw her boyfriend away she was just like please carrie take him i don't even do what you want with him i just want you to be happy and i'm just like i get that as a polyamorous bisexual i get it. it's like go go do what you gotta do i just want you to be happy babe and i think that carrie's entire arc of being someone who feels at odds with herself who's confused by their sexuality i mean the movie begins with her having her first period late like being a literal late bloomer and 
going to her mother and the first thing her mother says is like, you've sinned, you've done something wrong because that's why you feel this way. And I think that is such a queer experience of just, you know, feeling these things and feeling like I have crushes on the people that I'm not supposed to, quote unquote, have crushes on. And the people around me are telling me that being gay is this. And I just I just think that the more I go back and I watch that movie, it just tapped into something so visceral especially the whole idea of wanting revenge on everyone that laughed at you i mean talk about chaotic uh queerness it's just like they're all gonna laugh at you and then it's like well they've laughed their last laugh Uh there we go yeah i mean i i love that so much about carrie where it's like because i mean that really really struck too where it's just every bad feeling you're feeling that the way that mom was presenting was like everything bad is you've brought it on yourself somehow. Like, no, mm-hmm. she just twisted it. Like, she she never even heard her out, even for a second. It was like, whatever bad thing was happening, whatever bad thing was feeling, she must have done something to bring it on. Exactly. And then you just also have, like, the gym coach who was delivering, like, big gay energy. Just like, you know, I, yes. And just, and even just the whole, the way that all these women are just so obsessed with each other in like these dark ways it's just like it's not like good representation but it's like why do you care so much what carrie does like why do you care why do you need to go literally kill a pig to like pour blood on her it's like that's how it is when you're queer and you have haters they will go above and beyond to destroy you oh it's true plus you got the plus you got that uh ball cap wearing one. Oh yeah yes yeah, yes, yes like i, like, I admit it's like very very like femme butch mix she had like the the harley quinn like kind of pigtails plus yes. the plus the cap like it was that was she definitely like some mix it up butch fam- with her prom dress yes yes that is that is uh commitment that that is some soft butch commitment right there <laughs> and we stand we stand that we stand. <laughs> so For me, it was Soul Survivors starring Eliza Dushku, where I don't need, you know what? I can't even explain the plot to you. It's just Eliza Dushku. Um, But then there's also this, like, this mysterious, like, butch character who, like, comes along on the scene and, like, is suddenly hooking up with Eliza Dushka. I believe it was Angela Featherstone who played the character. Um, but it was just a 90s, like, just crazy queer romp for me. And uh, that was when I really think I first zo- zeroed in on horror. So, Soul Survivors. We love it. We love um, a good early right, 2000s uh, horror crap catastrophe. We do. We do. So, um, Adam, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter most often at the Adam Sass. Uh, you can also uh, now get my uh, debut young adult queer horror novel, Surrender Woo-hoo! Your Sons, which is um, available everywhere right now. It is uh, it is uh, queer teens team up to uh, take down their conversion therapy camp. So it's a big suspense thriller horror thing. So if you like queer horror where we are not villains or victims, uh, go get that one. Yes. That's amazing. What about you, Princess? Uh, you can mostly find me on Twitter at Weeks Princess, W-E-E-K-E-S Princess. And I also update on my YouTube channel, Melina Pendulum, M-E-L-I-N-A, and Pendulum spelled normally. Uh, but yeah, that's where I do all of my hot, hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you can find me at Dana Pickley, that's two C's, one L, on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also find me at QueerMediaMatters.com. And um, we're so excited to be bringing you this this uh, Horror is So Queer podcast. So until the next time we see you, stay queer and stay spooky. <laughs> the Anatomy of a Scream, Pod Squad.